0: So we filmed a lot. I mean, they got the hard drive and they had their guys go through it as, you know, they do when you got a big production like this. They didn't even see anything. So they have these, I don't know, one, two, maybe three different, four different editors from HBO. And mm-hmm. and then they throw together whatever they think are the stories. And we could have had three seasons from what was on those t- that hard drive because there were so many crazy things that happened in those first three years.
1: Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Visit PeteChapman.com to get your official podcast merch. Hoodies, hats, jackets, mugs, and other swag. And learn more about your host.
2: All right, all right. What's up, people? Welcome to episode 53 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, starring Mr. Garrett. McNamara, also known as G-Mac. Now, before we get into Garrett and tell you what you'll be in, in a treat for, gosh, sometimes you start talking and you, and you lose your vocabulary and you don't know where you want to go with it. And I imagine actors go through that all the time. That happens often when I sit down here. It's currently Monday. October 16th, as you know, these interviews were recorded a little while ago, so I I hop back in and do a a quick intro to bring folks up to speed. And what's going on as we sit here on a Monday afternoon in LA? Well, episode 51 with Paris Barclay and 52 with Reggie Rock Bythewood have been going well. Getting a lot of positive um, response from people. I feel like the, the the gems that both of those brothers have dropped have been just monumental for for anybody learning to see what it's like to be a director, what the path can be, but also like kind of take away how different personalities and and kind of soft skills can help you navigate being on set. That's one of the favorite things that I I enjoy about talking to so many different people on the pod because. I just get a different sensibility of like how people move through the space of a TV or a film uh, production. But since our last episode with Reggie Rock Bythewood, news-wise, the talks have stopped between AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA. No one's in the room, and I'm not here to speculate. But what folks were kind of expecting and hoping was that the fact that you had... You know Ted Sarandos in there, Donna Langley, Bob Iger, and I'm sorry, there was there's a fourth executive that slips my mind at the moment. But the hope was that it would mirror what happened with the writers' strike, where when those four executives got in the room, the talks kind of ramped up, sped up, because the decision makers were there, and it wasn't the AMPTP saying what those people would or would not agree to, because they were in the room. So hopefully deals will be forthcoming a fair deal a fair deal a fair deal um each different union has different concerns obviously but what i can say is that on the flip of of that industry talk and that stalemate you know more and more shows have been reaching out to me personally meetings are being had some shows are being booked with hard dates that are in early 2024 and so that to me means that people are <laughs> rolling the dice and or feeling very confident that uh, an agreement will be made by gosh folks are saying thanksgiving is the time that would allow but i mean what is happening would allow production to begin for the start of 2024 in january or so but you know with the conclusion of the writer's strike and the ratification of the deal The writers are already back in the room on many shows. You know, friends that are showrunners I've spoken to directly, and they are back in the room. So they're bringing five months of creativity and, and probably fresh brains that are ready to iron out plot and character and dialogue to the table. And I hope it'll bode well for a very interesting season of TV shows coming back next year. So, you know, that's what we hope for. But today we will be getting into episode 53 with my man, G Mack, Garrett McNamara. And this is an interesting one because he reached out to me and said, hey, I'd love to to be on the podcast. And I was aware of him from having watched The 100-Foot Wave. For those of you who have not, check it out. It's on Max. It's awesome. Garrett is a professional big wave surfer. And in the documentary, he's on the quest for The 100-Foot Wave. And that quest takes him to Nazare, Portugal, now, that documentary, while Garrett is a director in his own right and a surfer and just a, a kind of a renaissance man, the doc itself, is a series of, I believe, five episodes, and it's directed by Chris Smith, who directed Tiger King and Fire, one of the two Fire Festival documentaries, among other things. And The Hundred Foot Wave is up for a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of primetime Emmy Awards for 2023. It's nominated for outstanding sound editing for a nonfiction or reality program. It is nominated for outstanding sound mixing for a nonfiction program, single or multi-camera. It is nominated for outstanding documentary or nonfiction series. It is nominated for outstanding picture editing for a nonfiction program two more, y'all, two more. It's nominated for Outstanding Writing for a Nonfiction Program. And lastly, it is nominated for Outstanding Cinematography for a Nonfiction Program. So, there ain't nothing else you can nominate that shit for. I mean, it is is well accoladed and the critics like it, but it's just an amazing story. It's the kind of thing you watch, and It's almost like, uh, can you, like, if you wrote this, it would be, it would be bad writing, but The things that happen in real life are so cinematic, so poetic, and really push storytelling uh, to the limit, particularly when you have folks pushing themselves to the limit and trying to find that hundred foot wave. So without further ado, let's dive in to episode 53 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman with my man, Garrett McNamara.
1: Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one.
2: So I wanted to ask you about this statement that CJ, your brother-in-law, right, has in the documentary, as much as humanly possible. He said that was something that you say a lot. And I felt like maybe that's something that transfers into a lot of what you do. Like, what do you mean by that? Or what does that mean to you?
0: Well, it means just giving it your all. And Actually, putting the time in and and doing everything possible to get the best outcome.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You get the furthest you can get in any experience. The furthest along to maximize your your contribution, for lack of a better word, when it comes talent, when it comes time, and you gotta show up, be ready, do put. Uh, as much as humanly possible, put that effort into
2: the possibility of being as good as you can be. Mm -hmm. Does that come into play more by virtue of like what you do with your life and the risk perhaps of, 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 of big wave surfing, or is it, would that apply to, to anything that you do?
0: I mean, it's, it's usually very serious when I utilize it for preparing for big waves. Like, come on, man. But, in everyday life, I definitely utilize those that term, and it's like reaching full potential, putting you know, do your best, whatever you do, do your best to reach full potential, or just don't do it. I mean, don't
2: do it halfway, yeah, so you know I love to I feel like folks can do their own homework, they can watch the documentary and we'll and we'll talk about that too, of course, but i I would offer like if there's any You've probably done a, I know you've done a lot of press. If there's anything like you feel like doesn't get touched upon or a tangent you want to go on, like feel free to to take it there. Cause I think that's what's probably most interesting and, and probably okay. new new for you to kind of not have to like hit the <laughs> same answers all the time that I know are often. Well, you forward. already
0: you already came with a totally different question than I've ever been challenged. So mm. that was cool. Thank
2: you. Uh, no, nah, thank you, man. Thank you for being here. Challenge so answer. <laughs> you started surfing at 11. Like, what brought you to the sport? And what was it about it that you loved?
0: Well, when we moved to Hawaii, we had come from Berkeley, California, where we uh, were on the border of Oakland and Berkeley. And uh, and actually, funny fact, Too Short was just coming out. And, <laughs> and Oakland was a murder capital of the United States at that time. Wow. In uh, 78. And so we left Berkeley. We had a, a two-block street. Shattuck and Ashby was kind of our our corner street. And then we lived on Emerson. Emerson was just two blocks long. And we had like 20 friends. And my dad's restaurant was on the corner of Shattuck and Emerson. And we played all day, every day. I mean, our number one sport was baseball. But we played football. We played basketball. We We loved... Skateboarding was probably right up there with baseball, maybe even past BMX. Mm-hmm. And then I was playing soccer. I just got on a soccer team. I just got on a hockey team. We were urban, you know, just normal urban kids, just living it up. Having, we had the most amazing little community. And then our mother, who was very, uh, what's the word? She was free spirited. Yeah. And she came Back to Berkeley and said, We're moving to Hawaii. And she'd already uprooted us many times. And it was, there were always amazing experiences that definitely made us who we are and and were very unconventional and totally different than your normal upbringing. But the last journey she brought us on was the Christ family. And we were just like, Oh, no, we're, we're good. We <laughs> want to stay here, mom. Then she said, We're going to Hawaii. We moved to Hawaii. So, the funny thing is my mom stowed up these outfits for us. It was we had orange velvet pants
2: and orange <laughs> velvet vest. It with was 78. It was white. It was 1978.
0: Shirts. It was like Jackson 5 meets the Parchers family on steroids. It was I just love out it. of control. And so we get to we get to Hawaii and Where, you know, Daryl's, he was a musician. So he was playing with Don Ho's daughter. I don't know if you know Don, but he's a very famous Hawaiian musician. Oh, yeah. And uh, then shortly after, somehow, the daughter or somebody interests him. And then he left. And so we're in, we're in, uh, the North Shore is an amazing place to be. But we're like in the armpit of the North Shore. It's called Cement City. It's where all the military people live. And, you know, people on welfare. Back then, we had welfare. I'm not sure what they call it these days. So he left and we didn't have anything. Like we were just stuck there. And my mom got us a surfboard. Yeah. And she found us actually I a, I thought she found it in the, I thought we found it in my bushes. And my brother's like, no, no, mom bought that for us at a yard sale, $15. And I'm like, okay. He has a good memory. I don't, I, I block a lot of that stuff up or choose not to remember. I don't know. That surfboard, we, shorts, all we knew was shorts in that surfboard and we went surfing. And y'all are sharing it, yes, sharing yeah. the board. <laughs> but Liam didn't have any interest at first. we didn't have I didn't have to share it because he was still really into baseball, and the right. the baseball field was right next door to our house. Right. and he was the catcher, and he was number one every year. He was an all sort catcher. He was actually getting they were scouting him, and it was in elementary school. so it was like, and I, he would he would tease me like, I'm going to be a pro baseball player and gonna me, a surf bum, and I'm just like, okay. And then I would be riding my bike or walking by the baseball field to go to the beach, and he'd be running around the field doing laps, sit-ups, and and standing behind the
2: plate. Right. So after a while, he kind of gravitated towards surfing. Was there anything, you know, I think about, I hear that, and I think about, like, this is what popped in mind. I think about, like, Akeem Olajuwon, you know, and how, like, he was so graceful. Because he had played soccer before he played basketball, so the footwork was crazy. Like, did any of the sports that you were playing back in Berkeley translate to any kind of innate, you know, physical skill for being on a surfboard? Definitely skateboarding, and that was that was kind
0: of our baseball and skateboarding were our two favorites, and we felt like we were. I mean, nowadays I look back on it and I go, wow, we were like. We were like the Dogtown guys yeah. in Berkeley. And yeah. and I talked to, not Jeff Ho, not, I think it might've been Reggie Barnes or one of the old timers. Oh, forget the guy's name, but they just finished the BART station in Berkeley and we did a skate contest there. And yes. we had our guys that were the guys. And then they came up from down South. And he told me, I won that contest at at your barge station. So yeah, skateboarding definitely uh, transferred over into the surfing. And that was the only thing that enticed us. When my mother said, we're moving to Hawaii, we went kicking and screaming, literally, before the outfits were made, we we didn't want to go. (laughs) Then the outfits were like, oh my God, what is this? We're walking through the airport. Yeah, and she's all, they're, they're surfing, it's just like skateboarding, but and it, it's on the water. And we're like, hmm, all right. So when you fall, you won't hit the cement. Okay, that sounds good. That was the only thing that sounded yeah. good about moving on white.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because I know like when you, when you grow up in an urban area, like you're, you're playing football, tackle football on concrete, you know, like. On and,
0: the cement, on the on asphalt. Cement.
2: Yeah. it's yes. It's different. People don't know. People don't know, but you get like, you learn how to fall. You're like, ah, let me like, yeah,
0: bring my shoulder in
2: a little bit so I don't break it. Totally. We do. I know
0: exactly what you're talking about.
2: (laughs) So then, so then, you know, you picked it up, you kind of gravitated toward it. And then how did it blossom? You know, I was not
0: very good and I never saw it as a career. Never thought that I could be a pro because I started late. 11 is pretty late back then there wasn't any contracts until you were actually a pro. I mean, you could get free gear, but that was it. You couldn't accept money. When I was 16 is when I fell in love with big waves, but I still wasn't, you know, I, I just felt comfortable and felt like that was kind of more where I belonged in the small waves. Yeah. But I still didn't think it was a career. And then at 17, I, I was August baby. So I was graduating when I was 17. And, uh, uh, halfway through the year, I was really panicking. I was just terrified of graduating because I didn't know what I was going to do when I got out. And I didn't know what I was going to be. And I didn't go to school a lot. And we smoked a lot of joints. So, we, you know, we just smoked joints and tried to stay out of school as much as we could. Was and the weed better I- in Hawaii or in, uh, in Berkeley? The funniest thing is when we were in Berkeley, we were already smoking joints at like freaking eleven. So yeah, the weed in Berkeley wasn't that good either. We got it off the rooftops of a campus uh, dorm or or some some apartment building that we climbed up a fire escape, or it was my dad's Colombian that had a million seeds in it. So we got to Hawaii and they had the real deal. So yeah, it was totally way yeah. way better. <laughs> that was before it got interesting.
2: Right. right. So
0: then. um that, where was I going? Well, to to? Uh, oh, so
2: you were you hadn't been going to school much, and you weren't sure what you wanted to do when when you got out, graduated.
0: I was I was getting C's and B's and maybe a couple D's, C's, C's, D's, couple B's, and uh, a couple F's. And I at second, third quarter, just I'm like, okay, if I get all F's from here on out, I can flunk. And I could stay in one more year and I have one more year to figure it out. Mm. And I contemplated doing that. I contemplated. So when we're going to school, we're walking or, or driving the bus and we go right to school and go left to the beach. And we mm-hmm. went left a lot. So I said, okay, I'm going to go left every day. Right. Maybe I don't know I was thinking. But then my my uh, clothing sponsor, somebody was providing clothing for us, uh, Surfers Alliance, Brandy Rurick. And he said, I'm going to put you in the triple crown. And i was like, oh, okay. So I got my boards ready. I got my head on and, and got my game plan and made it to the main event at the Pipe Masters and made it to the main event at the Sunset World Cup. And when you make it to the main event, you are offered a certain amount of one. I only made it to the quarterfinals. So I, would, I won like $250 at each event. And right. gladly accepted the money and automatically became a pro. Yeah,
2: I, I was wanted like, to ask oh. you about that. Was, was there like, because you said you couldn't accept? Was there like a NCAA kind of like body around surfing that w- that was controlling things?
0: Yeah, it was called the ASP, and it was mm-hmm. you know politics at its finest, like everything. They wouldn't let you accept any amount of money. until you wanted to turn pro. And if you couldn't even get a contract that was paying you, you couldn't accept money as as a a winning prize money. Those were the rules back then. Nowadays, you can have a million-dollar contract
2: and not grow at at 13 years old if you're like the wonder kid. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. I was watching. Are you a football fan? I was.
0: I mean, I had tickets to the Raiders Vikings when the Raiders won in 76, I think no 78 7 no 76 yeah
2: 76
0: yeah and i had every baseball card every football card every yeah i was a freak i mean that's all we did was collect cards and big you auto gum. I mean, yeah. how, you must be pretty young. How old are you? You I, make, you have bubble gum, and you didn't have bubble oh, gum. Oh yeah. So, you know,
2: yeah, I'm forty six. So know, I'm forty six. Okay, my, okay. Got my, so you my remember my hurts gum. right now? Okay. Yeah, big league chew and all that good stuff. <laughs> yes, you know,
0: yes, A big league chew. <laughs> yeah,
2: but it, it's funny because I was I was watching when you mentioned you couldn't take any money or anything. Like I see, I saw the other day that the Colorado football team coached by Deion Sanders now, at least on their practice jerseys, they have their social media handles on the back. So now like if there's a camera on them, people can, it, it can funnel, you know, followers and whatever fans to their accounts and help them get an IL, you know, contracts, which, you know, look, I mean, you got a hundred thousand stadium. You know, somebody's making a whole lot of money off of you, and it's 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 an interesting thing to say. You, you you can only participate. Yeah. Yeah. So it it sounds like were you like even though you had this fork in the road and you were you were going left every day, right? <laughs> like were you kind of like, you know, were you like a big deal at that age? Like going to like were you kind of like the man around around town for what you were doing? I in was support?
0: going left a lot until I until I received that check that made me uh, automatically pro. And then I made sure I, I actually finished high school, graduated. And the funny thing is for all those kids out there listening, the only thing I haven't had many regrets, and I, I still don't like to have any regrets, but the one thing I would have uh, liked to have focused more on is, is learning while I was in school. The one thing that I thought while I was in graduation, I'm like, man, I should have been studying more. There's nothing really better to be doing it. And uh, I mean, yes, surfing got me where I am today. So maybe I, I I took the I took the right path, but no regrets. But um, big deal. No, I was not. I was a maybe in my own mind, and I was a very focused individual. Till so, from uh, twelve to twenty two we you you know we surfed and and had a great time but we weren't real focused from that day that i became professional at 17 i became a lot more focused and then at 19 or was it 22 no 22 i i went to japan at 22 and that's when i realized i'm like oh, okay i can make something out of this and i was still kind of nobody but i i was a uh, big wave surfer and the Japanese loved the big wave surfers and I could speak Japanese. So hmm. we, I had all Japanese sponsors. I went to Japan for 10 years, 10 years in a row. In Japan, that was a big deal. Around town on the North Shore, I wouldn't say it was a big deal. I would say I was one of the boys and we had a great time and we we did what we did. And, and we all like I mean, yeah, it was North Shore was totally different back then. It wasn't It was all Hawaiians, and the the lineups were. There was a pecking order. There was mm-hmm. a guy. If you got in the wrong guy's way, or if you dropped in on the wrong guy, you're getting sent to the beach, and you might even be getting sent to the airport. It was heavy. Wow. We were we were super lucky coming from Berkeley, uh, we were chameleons. You know, we were able to adapt from all from our. I think from our childhood of so much weird, strange. Directions yeah. somehow were able to get along, and uh, so we hung out with the boys. Those were our boys. The hardest right. guys on the North Shore were our were our guys. That's who; those were our boys. But I, I wouldn't say that I was the guy ever really. I was just on a different path, kind of. I think I was a little more upbeat. Like mm. we smoked our weed for years, but at twenty, at that seventy eight, was it? No, 87, 87. When it got interesting, when it started getting hydroponics and all that stuff, that's when I quit. And that's when I got super focused and didn't mess
2: around. I was like, boom, this is it. I'm taking this shit serious. I'm going to make something happen. So... God, man, I, I have like so many questions, but I want to try and keep keep it in order. <laughs> but I, I will throw yeah, this and I out. Yeah, I tend to
0: ramble. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> no, I, I i i love the I love the ramble because trust me, like i i I used to write out questions, and I was like, I never stick to them. So, what is this is going to be like a comparison? I guess because in the at this time period that you're talking about right now, like. What what were like the logistics of you being a professional surfer then, you know, versus now as far as like equipment or like your team, you know, because I have an idea, obviously, from watching 100 Foot Wave where it's like you've got, you know, these safety folks on jet skis. You've got a whole, you know, it's it's really like a military operation to ensure that. People come out of the water. You know what I mean. Like, and that also you can get out to the wave. But like, what was it like back then? If you could compare.
0: So when we began, there was no money. A couple guys made money, like Tom Curran and Aki, and and a few other guys. You know, survived. If they were they were they had a little niche. They carved something out to where they had longevity. But mostly everybody was here today, gone tomorrow. And the blue-eyed, blonde-haired kid was coming in when you're going out. The young, you know, the young guy. And it was a different world. You weren't allowed it wasn't cool to promote yourself. It wasn't cool to have your name or your face on anything that you created yourself. Now, if your sponsors did it, then that was fine. You know, if the the surf sort of the magazines publicized you, that was great. But uh there was no like meet me, me, I, I and there was there was no like talking about yourself. It was just it was more core and rootsy and, and spiritual. Spiritual mm-hmm. at its core it was spiritual, but it was a little more than that. It was just not cool. And then uh, the sponsors came in. I was lucky. I was in Japan for the first 10 years. I had all Japanese companies. They respected the Jap- big wave riders, and they all come to Hawaii. So we had all these Japanese friends, and then we had all these Japanese sponsors and we would go to Japan. We'd have the time of our life. Everybody else who had to go to Japan for the contest really was miserable because they stayed in their hotel room. They ate Simon at 7-Eleven. We got treated like kings. I mean, everyone was got treated like kings too, but they didn't know, you know, didn't have friends. You just had their sponsor who would take care of them and put them at their hotel. And so we had a great time with our Japanese experience and the big wave surfing with speaking Japanese gave us those 10 years. And then, um, I got injured really bad and almost disappeared, but then came back. And then I got sponsored by a Brazilian company. The biggest br- company in Brazil was bad boy was number one, biggest company in Brazil at the time. And I was best friends with the owner and I would go to Brazil every year. And and they, was, they were in Japan, there was uh, billboards in Tokyo and this and that and ads in every magazine. Yeah. And then and then in, in Brazil, the same thing. I get out, come out of the airport, and there I am, and a freaking billboard, and then another billboard, and some Paulo and every magazine ads. I don't know. I, I got super lucky. I, I was definitely not the most talented, but I was super focused and I created really good relationships. Hmm. And I did my best at carving out my niche in big waves. And then um it all kind of fizzled when I started a store and uh, yeah, I was pretty depressing and I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to give surfing one more try. And that's when I wrote my first business plan, how to keep surfing. And I made a a goal and then a map to the goal. And, and as long as that goal, uh, the map is realistic, the blueprint, the map is a realistic blueprint and map to achieve that goal. Then mm. it, it can happen pretty easily, but you got to have a realistic goal and a realistic plan. What, and so, with what, that plan, then boom, back to surfing. And here I am still. And I was at, yeah, I was at thirty-five or something. Yeah, yeah. What made what made you start the store? The store. Oh, was you. Forty. I had three children, and mm-hmm. I figured I had to provide and do the normal day to day. What everybody does, you know, what everybody yeah. thinks they got to do.
2: There's a there's a there's an interesting similarity, I think, in 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 what we both do, in the sense of like you know, the director on Hundred Foot Wave did that that Doc American movie, and if if you've seen that, it's just it's about a guy who's like so. I mean, that's a different case. I hope than myself, but like so committed to to this goal, to this dream that everything else can can it becomes secondary and you're as you get older you know like I didn't I didn't do my first episode of TV until I was 40. you know and it took like 15 years of trying to like just knock on doors break through build relationships like you talk about and you're constantly up against the grind of like where should I be what should I be doing you know but that thing just keeps knocking on your door and calling you and you gotta you gotta answer it what
0: was the secret to your success? What do you feel? Man, is there some pivotal
2: moment, or or a way of the, being, or there is. You know, I I I I kind of pinpointed to there was a particular moment in time where I just said I have to take my expectations out of the equation because in the in in the world of like you know film and TV, you kind of you can kind of buy into this these milestones opening particular doors and for myself i had met kind of every milestone that had been told or, or you know communicated to me as would be like and now it should happen and because those things weren't happening and then it it, it can get like you know real it gets real specific to just being being a being a black dude trying to break into the business like you know, I made independent films where I raised like half a million dollars, and it was like a tree falling in a forest that nobody heard. And you know, with people who have you know gone on to be huge stars. And so, when I took the expectation off of each film that I made, the the byproduct of that was that I was no longer bitter, because there was a bitterness underneath that I I wasn't really acknowledging. And and I had a couple people check me on it when I would talk about things. And I was like, oh, shit, I do sound bitter. You know why? Because I am. And so I I let that go. And like it really changed my interactions with people and it changed my connection to what I was doing. You know what I mean? Give me a little
0: a little chicken skin right there just because it, it we feed it if, if we're feeding it,
2: you yeah. know, yeah. Right? It's it's the zone, right? It's like, I, I imagine, you know, I know one of the things I take away from, from watching the documentary is like, there's this feeling of being at one with yourself when you, when you are in that zone on a wave that like, you just want to replicate it. You'll spend your whole fucking <laughs> life trying to replicate it and and doing these things to find it. And it's like, really there's a moment in the in the documentary where I think you were I forget where where you were, but i I think you were like I, you said you closed your eyes and you opened them back and you kind of went to a place to be grateful and be at peace and you opened your eyes and then you were ready, you know, and it's like, how can we do that every day, every moment it's, it's tough. so
0: tough and we <laughs> we know that we can if we choose to, but we don't because we're yeah have all these challenges all day long we're conditioned and we're just trying to we learning we're learning these amazing ways of being and we want to be what we know we can be but it's hard
2: but we're all we're often our biggest opponent and in our own way (laughs) self-sabotage yeah yeah so no but that's that's amazing man like i i i tip my hat because that you know i i we have a daughter and we had her when i was 44 but it was different i had finally found my footing you know what i mean like yeah. to be to be 35 with three kids and to, right you said three kids at the time
0: yeah and well i was actually i had two the the third one came after about
2: 40 okay yeah, yeah. so like that those are that thing the water was calling you <laughs> clearly yes and so coming out of that that's where you had the plan and it was like you I'm going to find, I'm going to read it. Let me ask you, was it about redefining what surfing could be?
0: It was more about the goal for me was always to keep surfing, Mm -hmm. just to be able to be in the water and not do a nine to five. And I didn't have that goal up until I opened the store. Till I opened the store, I always thought, okay, I got to surf all the way till now. I got all these years of surfing. I could be happy doing a nine to five. No problem. I already, i be so grateful for what I've already achieved, what I've already been able to experience and not have to go to work, you know, self-employed in the water. I mean, come on. And But then <laughs> once I was in that store, it wasn't that fun. Especially yeah. driving by perfect waves, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I had a, I enjoyed it for a bit, and it was doing the store was doing good. I had my little niche; cause I was the only guy who had bad boy clothing on the island. So all right. the fighters were coming, and all the people who knew what it was. A lot of people knew. So, but it just, yeah, it wasn't much fun sitting behind that register and telling s- stories of the, right. Tales
2: of the ocean,
0: yeah. Right. Tales of right. the vast wave.
2: <laughs> were, you, were you becoming like Were, were you like the, the 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 guy that people sought out? You know to, you know, rub the log and and get the get the wisdom. You know, like were folks coming only for the store, or were they coming to kind of rub shoulders with you and get get some of your, you know, tips and tricks?
0: I you know I I don't know I seem to I love hanging out and talking stories so I think there were more coming for whatever I had to sell but I'm sure once we got to know each other whoever came in and and there was people that were like oh my god but it was more just for for what I had and and then I did I did make some good friends there and I, I did have some fun times talking story but You know, I don't know. That's a good question. You know, know, there was a few kids from California, a few from, yeah, I guess there was a few people here and there. I I didn't really ever feel like I was anything special and didn't feel like I could be the guy that rubs the board and gets send them on their way. But I don't know. You know, that's a a totally different question I've ever been faced with. And I mean, you know, we did have some really good relationships with some really special people from all over the world that definitely came for advice and came mm-hmm. for yeah, the right, you know, yeah, yeah. I think there was a little bit of that for sure that I didn't feel worthy of. Maybe. Hmm. That's interesting. Why? Why? Why do you think that? I don't know. I never really won any big events. I always, I wasn't like. The best guy, I was right there, always just chomping at the bit, trying to get somewhere in my career and and just making it. I was always just making it. I was never at the top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So I don't think I ever feel, felt worthy to be that guy. Is there, for you personally, is, was there an aspect of like, was it all? Was it only about competing against yourself, or or was there ever any like, I'm better than these dudes? Like, let me, see, you know, like let me show them how how it's done. I was just super hungry and focused,
0: and had to make something happen every year to be able to retain my sponsors. To find it's usually mm-hmm. yearly contracts. Didn't okay. have many three year contracts. Every year you had to do something or you might not even be making any money the next year. And you had to be relevant. You had to be in the limelight. And I was really determined to get the best wave of the day. Once from about what the toe surfing, I really excelled in toe surfing. I love toe surfing. I love the team aspect. I love putting my partner on waves, being responsible for somebody. And then I loved choosing really good partners that I know are the best watermen around, that I know that like Ikaika and Rodrigo and Klee and, and Akadi. Uh, yeah, I just loved being a part of a team, but also knowing what I'm going after, knowing that my guy can get me what I want and I can give him what he wants. And together we can excel in any situation on any given day, right? And and to to be able to keep doing it, you had to get the wave of the day, or at least get the wipeout of the day, or right. get
2: something <laughs> that, that
0: everybody's gonna right. go holy shit, there you right. go right. And you know it's funny for me? They always I can I don't know. Nobody ever said this to me, but I feel like every. Year every other year every five years oh nothing else he can do he's done uh-huh. Uh-huh. here I am I'm uh-huh. fifty six and there's still more coming yeah <laughs> I love
1: it
0: <laughs> I, it's always about I never I mean I guess there's probably a couple times I a little bit of really reinvented myself knowing okay this is what I'm doing I'm reinventing I'm doing this right but usually it was usually just
2: all natural right here here's here's maybe. The simplest question of the day, before we get into 20-foot wave a little more specifically, like, how do you, when you're out there, how do you, what are you looking at to identify a good wave?
0: Well, back in the day, we would always want the biggest, best wave of the day, and we'd look at the swell, the forecast ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So, you look at the tide and the, when the swell's arriving and when high tide hits, because the biggest wave of the day usually comes at high tide on the massive swells. So, you time it to where you know what time you want to be on the rope. So you want mm-hmm. to be on the rope at least a half hour, if not an hour before that wave, probably half hour because your partner might want to get on the rope. So right. it's like, okay, who's gonna be on the rope? <laughs> who was who was who was studying? Who was who's was like, okay, this and um these days it's before it was the biggest, best wave, hopefully barrel, but as long as it's the biggest wave, that was the wave that everybody talks about at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Who got the bomb? Who got the bomb? Who got the bomb? So we're always going for the bomb and and nowadays, it's more of the the best wave, and the, for me, the best wave is is getting barreled and and riding the best you can. Or that was actually the last, like I don't know, before I got hurt in sixteen. And then since sixteen to now, it's been more about. I used to put it all on the line every wave. I would. It didn't matter if I was going to make it or not. I I mean, I always wanted to make the wave and I always did my best to make the wave. But I was going to put it all on the line to get the ultimate ride, get as deep as humanly possible and make it. And if I didn't, that was just fine because I'd have an amazing experience while I'm getting pounded. And then Mm -hmm. since the injury, I've been like, okay, I'm a little more oh, We're definitely patient, a lot more patient. I don't have to ride every wave anymore. I don't have to be on any. Sw- I, I'm back in the day. I had to be on every swell. If I didn't go to the the swell of the year at Tahiti, and yeah. I had the means to get there, and I said, "Oh no, I'm not," decided not to for some reason, or I had a trade show and I committed to, and I said, "Okay, I'll stay at the show instead of running to the swell." I would be on suicide. I would literally on suicide watch if I missed the swell of the year. And nowadays, I'm don't. i I'm fine right here in Malmo, that the swell can be going off anywhere in the world. I mean, I used to look at Japan, Australia, Chile, Peru, you name it, I was monitoring the swells all summer and all winter and wanted to be on the biggest best days of the year to, to keep that paycheck coming in and to keep uh, stoked, to keep getting the rush, to keep having fun and, and right. new experiences. What's up? This is Reggie Rock-Pythewood, creator of Swagger. And you're listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman.
1: Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook, is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weezy Productions. The reviews are in. Greg Berlanti says, There's a reason why everyone who works with Pete falls in love with his work. The lessons he imparts here are invaluable. Do yourself a favor and read it cover to cover. From Sarah Gamble, Pete's sharing gold nuggets that will spare you a ton of wasted time and help you channel your drive, talent, and ambition in the most productive way. And from Jesse Williams, this business has everything to do with preparation and expectations. Transitions grounds lessons in reality while empowering our artistry to run free, not an easy balance to execute transitions a director's journey and motivational handbook is available on amazon and anywhere else you get your books don't forget about your mom and pop shops people
2: so how did the how did the film how did the series come together did did you guys did you put together a pitch for that did hbo come to you like what was the genesis of of the 100 foot wave my wife wrote a one
0: pager, maybe it was three pages. Basically, just a little, little treatment for, for the series. For it was actually supposed to be a one and a half hour movie, and her goal was to win an Oscar. And she's she doesn't she shoots for the stars if she can do anything. And she's like, hey, we're gonna make this story about the human spirit. You broke your shoulder. Cody broke his back. Cj broke his back. You guys, three guys were told to never go surf again and you guys are all back. So we're going to do this movie on that and the human spirit. And we're going to inspire the world that everything's possible. And that's the goal. And then we sent it. Okay. My wife's cousin is Yada, who is Joe Lewis's wife. Joe Lewis was this the senior he was Amazon TV co-founder of Amazon TV, okay, and scripted and comedy comedy. And then she we re- reached out to Yada. We're like Yada, we got this thing. We're, we're wondering what to do. Can we show it? Can you show maybe show it to Joe? We did not really know Joe. And she's like, Oh yeah, but he just stepped down from Amazon. He does his own thing. But uh, okay, maybe maybe he'll look at it. And then we got it to Joe, and he looked at it, and then he had a he said, took a call with us, and he's like, Yeah. This is good. Uh, We didn't tell him we wanted to win an Oscar. He goes, this can win an Oscar. That's what he told Nicole straight up without us knowing that that's what she wants to do. Right. Then she's like, ooh. And he's like, and he wasn't pushy. He was real, like, it was really interesting that he didn't, like, come in Okay, I'll do this for you. It was like, "Um, if you need any help, I'll help push it in the right direction. And but, and then somehow we the conversation went on, and then and my wife just like here, you take it, <laughs>
1: right. run,
0: right? And she was gonna do it guerrilla, like with some per- some Portuguese company. That what we loved. We loved the Portuguese company, but it was you know it wasn't Joe Lewis and it wasn't Chris Smith. And and then we kept telling them we have a hard drive that has like the first three years a lot of footage. We kept telling them, oh, telling them, stuff. we got this hard drive. And then it was, we were having a hard time getting it from the from the guy who shot it. And then finally, we got on the hard drive, and they at, they're like, uh, this is a docu series. This isn't a yeah. one hour our movie." And my wife said, "Fuck, brother, I don't want no. Fun. I don't want." She didn't want no. Joe's like, "Oh no, but we can't wait an Emmy." So I don't yeah. want to <laughs> ask. <laughs> she was
2: pissed.
0: <laughs> she was bad. It was funny. And I'm like, I'm seeing the light, you know, I'm going, okay, this can carry on. This has legs. Okay. Oh, yeah. it. It, something's good. Let's do it. And uh, so we did it. And yeah, here we are nominated for six Emmys. And like, what the hell? She's, she's very proud. She's happy. And she's, she's really happy with it I mean, But we're, we're actually in talks every, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of high up. And I'm talking about doing a scripted movie on my life and, and uh, everybody wants to do it, and it's it's uh, it'll be kind of like because the childhood was so gnarly and dark, and and I, I want to focus more on that, and then the yeah. ta-da uh, with the meeting Nicole in the end, and not that much surfing, and more of uh, doesn't matter where you start, and everything's possible, and it doesn't matter what you go through in life, everything's possible, and and I, I think it's gonna, I mean, it'll take a little time, but we got the book already. It was, it, the book is G-rated to the maximum. They pulled so much stuff. I'm like, let's put this, let's put that. No, my wife wouldn't let me veto. And then the publisher, no, veto and all this other. I mean, I was like, let's call it Watermelon Seeds. on a ding dong. Because that's all I remember <laughs> from my childhood, you know, running around.
2: <laughs>
0: but I don't know.
2: Maybe she'll get her an Oscar someday. <laughs> well, I mean, no, nah, I mean, the, the, it's amazing. I, It's got such... I can imagine the experience they had looking at this three years of footage on a hard drive, because you know, B roll, right? Any interviews part of that are just like documenting the process of of getting that 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 system up and running.
0: You know, there was there wasn't like straightforward interviews, but there was a lot of lead ins and lead outs. I, I had been filming a lot with a lot of different crews with a lot of different projects so I was really comfortable with the camera it was like a friend and my mm-hmm. best friend was holding the camera and I loved the guy and he would G- George Leo Jesus he was just incredible and so we filmed a lot I mean they got the hard drive and they had their guys go through it as you know they do when you got a big production like this they didn't even see anything so they have these I don't know one two maybe three different Four different editors from HBO, and mm-hmm. and then they throw together whatever they think are the stories. And we could have had three seasons from what was on those that hard drive because there were right. so yeah. many crazy things that happened in those first three years. I mean, there was my friend from Malibu who can barely surf. He says, "I told him come on over." I told all these guys come. Nobody come. The Malibu Mike, he's like sixty. He comes. Because pounded on shorebreak, he's a, he's like the he was the most the hilarious guy. Right? Yes, and oh, then yeah. I and mean, we're taking the jet skis out at night and trying to get back in at night with three people. I mean, there were some craziest, craziest things that we captured that never made it to light. That I mean, that still happens today. You know, there's yeah. so many things. These we shoot all this footage, and it goes to these four different editors who don't know us or don't know anything about anything, and they capture and log and and right. write these stories. And then they get it to the other editor who then really does it. And then they get it to Chris. So, right. and then we try. there, luckily they, they throw everything at us and fact check it all. And then we're like, oh, we're always making these
2: so suggestions. You'll be like, Hey, I remember there was this moment in that thing that you don't have in there. And I know it cause it's on the third camera and yeah, that whole deal. Yeah. And yeah,
0: it's a, it's amazing, and they're incredible storytellers, and they're an incredible team, and I am so grateful. But it is very challenging to see
2: the things that that slip through the cracks. <laughs> mm. And from and from what I see from from our research, you you've directed two different films: the North Canyon and and Big Wave at G Mac, Big Wave Attack, North Canyon. There was a.
0: Uh, North Canyon Project was, uh, we did Nazare Calling and we mm-hmm. did one other one. Nazarene Calling was really good. It's actually online on some some random guy put it up and they, they ripped out the music because it's not, they don't have the rights to it, even though we do. So right. it's a really poor representation of what we did. And we won awards with it. It was a really good movie. And when I watched, so when they first sent me the first pass of season one, and I was like, this sucks. What are you guys doing? Because <laughs> I, I, because our movie makes you cry. You feel it and you cry. Right? And, I'm, and I'm looking at it, comparing it to the movie. I'm just like, what are you? And then, I mean, it just got better and better. But it still, to me, was like nothing compared to the movie. There was no, like, climax. Right, in, in, right, right, In right. our movie, there was a climax. And I was like, where's the climax? Like, no, no, this is... You know, this is a docu-series. We got to keep it going. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Was it hard for you to separate having directed to being like a featured, you know, subject in in this series? Or did you kind of work with Chris at all and kind of share your thoughts on how this might be be realized as a series? We were super lucky because the script that Nicole wrote
0: was in those hard drives. It's been challenging to release all control of what you're being portrayed as and, and mm. all the storytelling. And when it comes to me and and how they portray, portray me, I've just come to the realization and, and, and I accept that if I did it, I did it. Mm. And right. they would get, that's it. That was me. Right. Bottom line. So I can't complain. Right. Um, but when it comes to the storytelling and the and the other characters, and it's a little challenging. Because we want to do stuff to make a difference, or we don't want to do it at all. And right. if it's not inspiring, it's not making a difference, there is no reason to be wasting any time on this. And and Luckily, the characters they have woven in either are inspiring, or somehow complement the stories, or com- complement what we're doing or what somebody else is doing, and everything weaves together really well. We don't agree with all of it, but it's you know they're they're smart, they know what they're doing, they know TV, and it's working. So we're super. We're fully vested in in everything that's going on. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. as far as letting go, control definitely challenging. My wife and I are both somewhat control freaks, and we're we're always working on not being control freaks. And my wife is actually doing really good at it these days. I'm still having a little bit of a hard time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like you got great partners on it because it it's it's really masterfully put together in the and the characters are clear where you kind of get a sense of like, I see, I see who this, or or who they're presenting this person to be, but I also understand what it's doing for the narrative, you know, and, and then it pays off in really unique ways. I mean, even like CJ's story and, you know, the way that that kind of those last few episodes of season two are kind of poetic you know and even the conclusion of the the final images of is it barrel on on the surfboard at the end like yeah yeah cut with you like that's <laughs> just beautiful stuff man like and and the cyclicalness of it is 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 great
0: yeah chris smith was beyond himself when he got to start that episode with um tony's sister passing and then Faye being born. And that happens last minute, because they didn't realize that that was surfing for Faye. And they had that mm-hmm. way early to get it. And they didn't realize that there was a lot, of, like you said, that camera on that time, on that, they didn't have any of the Nicole Burst stuff. They had nothing. And right. we were we were like, come on, come on. And then finally Chris was like, Well, we're we're missing all that. Is there any times or dates or cameras that you can know about? And Nicole's like, this camera, this time, this date, and boom. And then Chris just went, it was like almost past deadline. And Chris went in just, and then he's like, ah, it's my favorite. He was so happy. And we were so happy. Uh, Chris is a magician and then um, Joe Lewis is just a magic man with anything any challenge that comes at him he just so calmly navigates everybody and everything and then Zach who's the right hand to Chris is just amazing I did last last dance with that's where he got his thing yeah and then that. you know the, the topic people and the HBO I mean it's uh, the 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 powerhouse team behind this whole thing is a bunch of really in amazing women right the, the HBO crew topic and then you know we got us guys just working <laughs> yeah yeah
2: yeah I mean look man I, every time I, I I hear those waves crashing and I'm like you know I guess it's too late for me <laughs> Nah, no, we can get you out noticed. there we
0: can you know one of these days we can get you out there in Hawaii or Nazareth on the jet ski and, and yeah. even surfing you would be surfing first wave I just when I take people surfing who are a little worried or a little hesitant, you I give them the perfect board and take them to the perfect spot, which is yeah. a small wave with a sandy bottom. And you start Is it a longer
2: board that's better
0: for a beginner? Yeah. A stand-up. Okay. First start on like a 11, 10 to 12 foot stand-up board. Catch a few waves, get your paddle, get your style. And with me running right there or, or surfing right next, evaluating, sharing, do this, do that. Right. And then you go to where you want to go, but you make sure that first experience is the best experience ever.
2: Right. So you don't have nightmares about it. Yeah. Yeah. So if there, if there's like, you know, like I kind of started at the beginning of like, you know, let's feel free to go tangential or, or, or whatever, like. Is there anything about this series that you wanted to share that has never kind of come up, whether by question or just not enough time to talk about it that you want to say here?
0: Well, you know, none of this would have happened without Nicole because she was the one who answered the email and then she was the one who wrote the script. The email we wouldn't have went to Portugal if it wasn't for Nicole. And uh, the, the the women of Nazare are the backbone and the heartbeat of Nazare. And I feel like Nicole is one of them and brought all this amazing um, opportunities to the town and to the country through answering this email, through getting us there. And then, you know, it, it was a, it we pretty much succeeded and hit the home run out of the gate. With the BBCs and the CNNs and the ESPN and and then the then the social media came in, so there's no stopping this media machine that's focusing on Portugal. But uh, this HBO thing, I, I do, I didn't think there was anything more that we really needed to do or, or anything that was really going to make a difference. But Chris Smith, Joe Lewis, Topic, and HBO have shined so much light on Portugal as a whole through Nazareth. And it's it's a tough one, you know, you got all these new opportunities, all these new business possibilities, all these new influx of uh, tourists. Right. An un, 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 unheard of amount of tourists in the wintertime and now in the summer. And um, it's a double-edged sword, you know, that people want, oh yeah want people. We want tourists. We want business. We want new opportunities. But then it comes, and all of a sudden the prices go up, and mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a kind of like a be careful what you ask for, and and plan ahead, and be ready, and and it's 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 really beautiful because so many people have so many new opportunities that they would have never had, and and especially the young people of Portugal can now stay in Portugal and don't have to leave to to figure out to find what they're looking for
2: and it's right, right there in their in their home home right. country that's beautiful well, i call this rounding third bringing it home i ask everybody you know like whether actor director producer cinematographer like what are three characteristics that they find are necessary to make it in the business and i don't know if i need to edit that and 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 make it more specific like you know, to three characteristics you you need to make it as a surfer. But, yeah, maybe I'll pose it to you like that. what What are three characteristics that you find are necessary to to make it and survive and thrive as a surfer?
0: Well, first, you got to really want it. If you want it, then you gotta make sure that all of the the things you need to be doing to 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 achieve being a surfer, whether big wave or small wave, You got to reach full potential in your endeavors and whether it's your training or your eating or your surf routine or whatever it is, you got to make sure you're reaching full potential and then you got to carve out your niche with no niche. There's no long, no guarantee of longevity, but if you have a niche, you can be around forever. You can, you can, Go through all the different eras of your career that were your last, and then you can bring it further, and then you can bring it further, and you can bring it further as long as you have a niche in your in your world, whatever your world is, and it yeah. can be any. If you have that niche, you're special and unique, and we all have this unique gift, and we can all do something better than everybody else. Because we all do it in our own unique way. Whether you think this guy's better than you or not, you're going to do it in your new unique way. And that's your special superpower that is your gift. And it, it's it's up to us to share it with our family, with our friends in the world and, and have longevity in our careers.
2: Awesome. Man, anything else you want to
0: add that I, that
2: I haven't <laughs> asked you?
0: It's never too early and it's never too late. Write that goal, make that map, and live your dream.
2: <laughs> I love it. Well, selfless Garrett,
0: component. Selfless component is huge. Some way, shape, or form, giving back, and then you really can't fail.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. A- and you feel, you feel whole.
2: Yeah. Well, look, I I feel like you've given back on this one. Just uh, tapping <laughs> my shoulder, and, and now we're here chatting, man. It's uh, it's a pleasure to rap with you and get a little bit of an insight into your mind and and the journey, and and I appreciate you, brother.
0: I appreciate you, too. Thank you for the interest.
2: What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on IG. Via at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it, via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is produced and edited by the multi-talented cut creator Tristan Nash. Assistant produced by the young mogul Jada George and features the wonderfully gifted Kelly McCreary as our announcer. It's written by yours truly, but I mostly come up with these questions on the fly, which you've probably noticed. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is sponsored by Sweat Equity. So go ahead and get your podcast swag via petechapman.com and leave a review on iTunes if so inclined. That shit matters. All right, y'all, that was... Mr. Garrett McNamara on episode 53 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. just want to thank him again for taking the time out of his day across international borders to hop on the phone with me and bring that conversation to y'all. Next week, we welcome Ms. Anya Adams. Uh, Friend of mine, really great director. You will have hopefully seen her work in season two of Yellow Jackets. She's doing feature films. She's she's killing the game. And she's also the governor of the TV directing peer group for the Television Academy, which I I'm on that I'm on that committee as well. So I've get I've gotten to see her leadership in different ways. And I've also had the pleasure, at least late in the journey, of seeing her transition from an A D when I met her back in 2017 on Blackish, when I was shadowing director Linda Mendoza, and uh, into all the things that Anya is doing now. So, tune in next week, y'all. And in the meantime, you know what I'm gonna say stay safe, spread love, and keep creating.